guys? Welcome back to Monday Warfare, the battles within. It is Raw versus Nitro here as we tackle the week of July 22nd, 1996 this week on the show. And I am your host, Ray Russell. And before we get into the show, I got to remind you guys, you can listen here to Monday Warfare, the battles within, along with sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently in the middle of the 1987 WWF project over there on the Grenade Show. This week, finishing up the month of July, heading into the month of August 1987 of the World Wrestling Federation, you can also listen to our show, the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. It's always 100% territory talk on regional wrestling, and right now in the middle of two projects over there, including the year of 1981 in Georgia Championship Wrestling, as well as 1986 in the Mid-South Wrestling Territory, the UWF. And you can listen to all of those shows, including Monday Warfare, and a whole lot more over at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And be sure to follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at WrestlingGrenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me at Facebook.com slash WrestlingGrenade. Follow us on social media for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And speaking of videos, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel located over at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade, uploading new footage all the time as I continue to preserve my old VHS collection by converting it all to digital. 480 plus videos and counting over there at our YouTube channel. Subscribe today. And speaking of subscribing, now would be an absolutely phenomenal time to become a WrestleCopia patron. You can find us there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from, but I only ask you guys to give it a start at that $5 all-access tier. $5 is going to get you all sorts of goodies there, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes. Pages and pages of show notes for every episode of Monday Warfare, the Wrestling Memory Grenade, and the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. You also receive early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. You can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show covering the 1989 NWA project includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints edited right back into the show. But that's not all. You'll also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. Plus other random bonus video drops and other goodies as well. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5 a month. It's early access, insanely detailed show notes for Three of the podcast shows, Patreon-exclusive watch-alongs, remastered episodes with new content, digital downloads, and so much more for just $5. No subscription. Cancel any time. Show your support. Give our Patreon a try for a month, and I think you'll like the content we offer. All of the time, the energy, the heart, the soul that I put in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. If you can, please show your support, because every penny here on Patreon goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. You guys are just helping me pay some of the bills. So if you guys have a few bucks laying around or a few bucks laying in that PayPal account, please 
think about us here at WrestleCopia, give us a try at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And now with all of that out of the way, it's time to head into the week of July 22nd, all the way back in 1996 in the Monday Night War. But before we get to Raw, we've got some WWF news to take a look at. And we're a little light on the news here this week, since the Ultimate Warrior drama has subsided, for now. And yes, guys, we are just 24 hours removed from the WWF's In Your House International Incident pay-per-view. Going to get to those results in just a minute, but first, some other news and notes here. If you saw the In Your House pay-per-view, you know that Psycho Sid is indeed back. And if you recall, Sid disappeared from the WWF at the beginning of 1996, claiming a career-ending back injury which forced him to retire. But Sid is back now, but he has also stated to the WWF that he must take minimal bumps, per the doctor's orders, in order to prevent his back issues from returning and causing him permanent debilitating injuries. Hmm. wonder if he's still allowed to hit a softball. But how convenient Sid is back and minimal bumps. I want that doctor. As stated on last week's episode of Monday Warfare, Hunter Hearst Helmsley has indeed signed a new contract a three-year contract here in the World Wrestling Federation, and is expected they'll renew his push now that they've got him on a long-term commitment. Long-term indeed. It's also confirmed that Barry Windham has signed on with the WWF and will be brought back doing a hunter-type gimmick named The Stalker. Also coming off the heels of last night's pay-per-view, it appears that Ahmed Johnson suffered a broken nose during the six-man tag team main event at In Your House. If only that were his biggest problem upcoming here. The injuries continue to pummel poor Ahmed Johnson. It's also noted that the Iron Sheik will be coming back as a manager of sorts, starting at the August 19th TV tapings. Sheiky will be managing the returning Fatu of the Head Shrinkers. Remember, he tried to make a difference here earlier and just didn't work out. So Fatu tried to make a difference, and now the WWF going to make a difference with Fatu instead as it's reported that Fatu has been ordered to shave the majority of his hair and return under some sort of a mask as a quote-unquote Middle Eastern gimmick here, managed by the Iron Sheik. Can't wait for that one. And before we jump into this next edition of Raw, we got to go back 24 hours to the In Your House pay-per-view international incident results, guys. The ninth installment of the In Your House pay-per-view, to be exact, took place July 21st from Vancouver, British Columbia at the General Motors Place. On the free-for-all, we saw Justin Hawk Bradshaw steal a win over Savio Vega, and then off to the pay-per-view, it was the Body Donnas picking up a win over the Tag Team Champions, the Smoking Guns, Sonny in their corner. Of course, the matchup was non-title. Billy Gunn busy on the outside talking with Sonny, didn't realize that Bart was in the ring setting up for the Sidewinder finisher, which allowed the Body Donnas to steal the win there on Bart Gunn, a little switcheroo, some chicanery in play, but the Body Donnas steal the win over the Tag Team Champions. Smoking Guns, no doubt, putting them in place for a title shot in the near future, you'd have to think. So the dissension in the guns is put into place here at International Incident. Billy Gunn, more worried about Sonny than he is his own partner, Bart, or the Tag Team titles for that matter. Billy fails to realize the only reason Sonny's with them is because of the champions. Gotta get your head on straight there, Billy. Both of them. Also in your house, it was originally slated to see Mankind take on Jake the Snake Roberts, but it was reported in both the Torch and the Observer initially that Jake Roberts was a no-show. He was missing in action, and initially, nobody seemed to know why. So it was instead Mankind defeating Henry Godwin here with the Mandible Claw. All the while, throughout commentary in the matchup, it was Jerry Lawler on commentary burying Jake Roberts 
with jokes throughout the matchup, obviously, of Jake's drinking issues, blaming his drinking on him being missing in action here for this match with Mankind. Now, we'll learn here by Raw that Jake was simply out due to rib injuries that he suffered back at the King of the Ring in his match against Vader. Also, as part of In Your House, a rematch from the King of the Ring pay-per-view, a little revenge here for Stone Cold Steve Austin, who got his lip busted open, had to get it sewn shut, not once but twice after his matches at the King of the Ring, and it's Stone Cold here at the In Your House International Incident, going over once again on the wild man Mark Marrow in a fairly clean match. Yes, he does crotch Marrow prior to the finish, but the Stone Cold Stunner going to pick up the win here, and Marrow not getting pushed nearly as hard all of a sudden, and it's fairly obvious. Also on the pay-per-view, it was The Undertaker defeating Goldust on a disqualification after Mankind came up through the ring. That's right, he ripped a hole in the ring, dragged The Undertaker down. We saw Taker do that to Diesel earlier this year in a steel cage match at an in-your-house. But it's mind games here by Mankind who rips through the ring and pulls The Undertaker down, causing the disqualification. Now, eventually, Mankind going to re-emerge by himself through that same hole to celebrate, but The Undertaker rips another hole across the ring, returning himself and laying chase to Mankind into the backstage area all the way to a boiler room. Hmm. And in the main event six-man tag team action, it was the team of Camp Cornette, that's Vader, Owen Hart, and the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, over the team of Ahmed Johnson, Shawn Michaels, and Psycho Sid. As the finish saw Jim Cornette interfering, grabbing Shawn Michaels by the ankle, distracting him just long enough for Vader to deliver an avalanche splash in the corner, and then the Vader bomb. Going to get the win here, Vader pinning the WWF champion. Now, post-match, Shawn Michaels getting a little heat back, doing a big dive out to the floor on top of Vader, and that'll set up their championship match at SummerSlam next month. And speaking of which, to say this pay-per-view was used to set up SummerSlam would be an understatement. We go back and we look at some of the action here. We know Sid's going to take on the Bulldog. They were both part of that six-man tag team match. The Undertaker and Mankind, the issues continue on there. It winds up in a boiler room of all places. We know how that's going to play out. Jerry Lawler spends the entire Mankind-Henry Godwin match burying Jake Roberts on commentary. Those two are going to go at it at the pay-per-view as well. And of course, Body Don is just one of the many teams looking to take on the Smoking Guns upcoming at SummerSlam. So the WWF working hard to get some things in line for their second highest grossing pay-per-view of the year. As we head off to Monday Night Raw, July 22nd, and we are live, pal, at the Key Arena in Seattle, Washington. It's Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler on commentary. As we head off to the ring, we see the tag team champions, Smoking Guns, making their way out with Sonny by their side. And we're scheduled here for a tag team title matchup. It's supposed to be the Guns defending against the WWF champion Shawn Michaels and Intercontinental champion Ahmed Johnson. Remember just last week, it was Shawn and Ahmed defeating Billy and Barton singles matches. Here this week, they get a tag team title shot. And as the Guns make their way to the ring, we see Sonny pushing out a rolling table with a giant birthday cake on it. Uh-oh. Vince McMahon says, well, Bob Dole's birthday is today, and so is the fabulous Moolah. But there's only one person in the building that's celebrating a birthday tonight, and that's Shawn Michaels, who turns 31 years old here in 1996. And with the guns now at ringside, Ahmed Johnson out next, followed by HBK, who stops at his cake as Sonny entices him, allowing the smoking guns to attack their opponents from behind outside on the floor. The action then rolling into the ring as Ahmed quickly disposes of Bart Gunn, while Shawn Michaels 
with sweet chin music on Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn out cold before the match can even start here. So Sean back out to the floor, heading over to his birthday cake. Swipes some icing onto his finger and puts it on Sonny's nose. And that doesn't sit well with the Sonny one so true. So while Shawn Michaels having a laugh at her expense with the fans, Sonny picks up the entire sheet cake and tries to throw it at Michaels. But she's stopped by Ahmed Johnson, who's standing behind her. Johnson then grabbing the cake from Sonny and smashing the entire cake in Sonny's face instead. Oh, the hilarity. Vince McMahon eating it up on commentary, as you might imagine. Ha ha! And with Sonny covered in cake, Shawn Michaels licks the cake off of Sonny's face, not once, but twice. As Vince responds, he likes the icing. Well, he certainly did, pal. And Sonny, left standing there with cake all over her face, all over her breasts, which was no doubt the end game of this to start with. Vince Russo clearly continuing to share his ideas here. As Shawn Michaels celebrates with posing and pyro in the ring, his face covered in cake. Billy Gunn still out cold from the super kick as well as we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, it's Gorilla Monsoon backstage. Gorilla in an interview here confirming that Billy Gunn is disoriented. And therefore, the tag team title match will still take place, but later tonight. If the Guns do not defend, they will be stripped of the tag team titles. So they've made a change and the tag title main event will now take place later in the show. Imagine that. For what it's worth, they did the entire first segment in like four and a half minutes, so it didn't take up a whole lot of time there as we head backstage. Quick backstage promo from Ahmed Johnson and Shawn Michaels after that altercation, awaiting their tag team title match now scheduled for later tonight. As we head back to the ring, it's the raw debut of The Goon! Taking on the wild man, Mark Merrow is the goon here, Sable in the corner of the wild man, so we got T.L. Hopper versus Mark Merrill last week on Raw. This week, it's Bill Irwin as the goon. And the gloves are coming off the goon as he attacks Merrow to start the match. Body check from behind sends the wild man into the corner. Merrow trying for a comeback with a slingshot splash from the apron, but lands onto the knees of Irwin. And it's more awkward offense from the goon here who tries to do everything like he's playing hockey. And I'm thinking maybe he's taking this a little too literally this hockey gimmick here. And just then, it's Steve Austin to save the day here for us fans at home as Stone Cold joins commentary, trashing the wild man Mark Merrow after beating him last night again on pay-per-view. And if that wasn't enough, Jake the Snake Roberts joins us by the telephone as well to add to this circus, distracting us from the match going on involving the goon who continues to dominate in the ring. As commentary goes on, Jerry Lawler burying Jake the Snake on the phone, showing off his tag team partner, Jim Beam here for the camera. Robert says he was a fool for trying to come back and wrestle after his rib injury at King of the Ring, but he expects to be back in the ring once again in two to three more weeks' time. So Jake Roberts will be back before the SummerSlam pay-per-view as Steve Austin giving it to Vince McMahon here, giving him some shit for cutting him off to introduce Jake Roberts to the show. And, oh yeah, did I mention there's a match going on in the ring? Marrow, out of nowhere, using the same roll-up on the goon that he did to bust Steve Austin's lip open with, but visibly far more cautious here is the wild man doing the move on Raw, which makes it look a lot less flashy. And it's going to get Marrow a two-count, nevertheless. And then Stone Cold, with the line of the night, mocking the stupid name gimmick of the wild man here, he tells Vince McMahon that sometimes they do stupid things in the WWF. 
What's with this mild man, wild man thing? That's, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. What do you mean by that? Well, it's just stupid. I mean, y'all do some stupid things here. A long time You'll ago. You'll take a high-risk maneuver, that's for sure. Yeah, right. I think, they just, I think they just misspell it. They meant to say mild man. <laughs> a long time ago, y'all painted a school bus red, white, and blue and drug someone around to shake hands and kiss babies. Why don't you paint me up a school bus and let me go around the country and every time so, someone shows up, I just whip everybody's ass. Why don't we do that? Oh, that wouldn't be stupid. Well, why don't you start with The Undertaker next week? I will. You're, I'm going to make an example of him. Our, you got what? my word. I'll make an example out of The Undertaker. I give him all the credit in the world. But if, I'm, if I say I'm going to take care of somebody, that's what I do. And that's the oh. bottom line because Stone Cold said so. You're predicting victory over The Undertaker that's next week? That's right. And all you got to do is tune in next week. And that was a fun soundbite there of Stone Cold. Talking about once upon a time, they painted up a bus red, white, and blue and sent a man around the country shaking hands and kissing babies. Well, maybe they should send Stone Cold. Maybe they should charter him a bus to go around the nation whipping everybody's ass. And it's stuff like that that got Austin over to that next level. So awesome. Pure gold on commentary here this week is Steve Austin. And then we learn it's going to be Stone Cold versus The Undertaker here next week for the second time ever on Raw. And we get an early, that's the bottom line there, thrown in as well from Steve Austin. And oh yeah, again, did I mention there's this thing going on in the ring? The Goons offense goes on entirely too long here. And when Mero tries for a comeback with a spinning head scissors, Irwin has no idea what's going on, doesn't know what's coming, doesn't know how to take the bump, and takes a backwards bump off of what should have been a rolling forward head scissors takeover. I wrote, ugh. So Bill Irwin taking a back bump off of a head scissors. But the goon, though, sends Merrill out to the floor, plans to check Merrill into the steel post and steps. Merrill up against the steel on the outside as the goon comes charging. But at the last split second, the wild man out of the way. And the goon charging slips on the fucking cake and icing at ringside that nobody ever bothered to clean up. The goon goes sliding on his ass into the fucking steel steps. He slipped on the ice, guys, or rather the icing here. You can't make this shit up, people. Then, for absolutely no reason other than to do one, Marrow with a somersault plancha out to the floor with the goon standing in the cake. Boy, that was smart. Guy already slipped in it once. Could have torn his knee out there, but it does connect nevertheless. Then back inside, Marrow with a slingshot leg drop from the apron. Going to get the pinfall in 7 minutes and 14 seconds. So Mark Merrill back to using some of the flashier moves again. But that match went on incredibly too long. The first match for the Raw taping, so the crowd was alive for it. But this wasn't something to keep the crowd up, if you know what I mean. And they bury this match in smoke and mirrors on TV with Steve Austin on commentary, Jake Roberts calling in, all during the goon heat. And I feel bad for the fans in attendance who had to sit through the match instead. And it's shit like this. That ain't helping Mero's cause very much in getting over. Lucky for me, I got the Austin commentary, which was just brilliant stuff here from beginning to end. So Mark Mero, he gets T.L. Hopper last week, the goon this week, and the goon really dominant here. If the match went seven minutes and 15 seconds, I would say the goon dominated at least six minutes of the match just with generic offense. Not very good here. A way to kick off Raw. And coming out of a pay-per-view, as we see Bob Backlund shown campaigning in the crowd for his presidency here, coming up at the end of 1996, but sorry, Bob, Clinton going to get a second term. That's Bill, not Hillary. As we get a video from 
Earlier today, Gorilla Monsoon seen sitting with attorney Clarence Mason discussing the potential return of a WWF superstar who has his back turned to the camera, and we would soon learn that superstar to be the unrecognizable Crush. As Clarence Mason discusses this wrestler's prior crimes, but mentions that he was never convicted because the WWF doesn't allow convicts in their company? I mean, they forgave Ken Patera. I guess it must have been that Nails altercation with Vince that changed their mind. Screwed the ex-cons for life here in the WWF. As we're back to the ring for Mankind. Gonna take on Freddie Joe Floyd as we get pictures from last night's In Your House. It's the Undertaker versus Goldust match. Shows Mankind's interference and the brawl between Foley and The Undertaker into the Boiler Room. It's at that point that we learn of the Boiler Room Brawl match set for the SummerSlam pay-per-view in Cleveland next month. And Freddie Joe Floyd from Bowlegs, Oklahoma even gets theme music here. Somebody picking at that banjo for Freddie Joe. And God, I love Tracy Smothers, who looks into the camera and says, Hi, Mom, as he makes his Raw debut. And Freddie Joe with some offense early on. And screw it, I'm not calling him that. It's Tracy Smothers with a few good shots on Mankind but misses a top rope reverse crossbody, and Mankind going to take over the action, picking Tracy apart on the mat, and a nasty knee to the face in the corner, and a leg drop across the apron onto Smothers as well. Smothers, though, tries for a comeback, but eats a clothesline, and then put in the tree of woe by Mankind. Mankind charging Smothers, hanging upside down in the corner, but Tracy does a sit-up, and Mankind misses his charge in the corner, but fully backing up, trying for a second charge, Smothers completely out of the way, and it's Tracy Smothers now. His turn to fire up on Mankind. Those patented back fists of Tracy and a pair of jumping calf kicks has Foley on the rocks. And it's Smothers up to the top rope with the jawjacker flying back elbow from the top. Hell yeah. The thug is here, guys. T is for terror. H is for hell. U is for ugly. And G is for jail. Why? Because a thug can't spell. Tracy Smothers with the jawjacker, that flying back elbow. Gonna get the one, two, but Mankind kicks out and the Freddie Joe Floyd character from Bowlegs, Oklahoma. So what's next? Why an Oklahoma roll, of course. Tracy Smothers busting out the Oklahoma roll. One, two, but Mankind out again. Smothers then back up top once more, but Foley crotches him on the top rope, locks in the mandible claw from the middle rope, and then dragging Tracy down into the ring. But the Mandible Claw going to get the win here in just three minutes and 49 seconds. And you knew Tracy never had a chance in this match, but Foley let him shine a little before putting him away. And it went the perfect amount of time for what it was meant to be, unlike that Marrow versus Goon match we already saw. Good little TV match here between Tracy Smothers and Mick Foley. As we move on, Brian Pillman now to ringside for commentary in the next matchup, teasing using the seven words you just can't say on TV as it is Goldust with Marlena in his corner, taking on Barry Horowitz, who is still here in the WWF. And before the match can start, we get a backstage promo from the wild man Mark Marrow. We learn that Marrow has Vader here next week on Raw and Goldust at SummerSlam. As it appears, they've already abandoned the lesbian story here between Marlena and Sable, as Marrow says that it is Goldust who is infatuated with Sable, sending the letters and gifts, not Marlena. As in the ring, Goldie taking Barry Horowitz outside immediately and sending him into the steel steps. A more aggressive Goldust after his match with The Undertaker at In Your House as the curtain call gets the quick win here in just 2 minutes and 17 seconds. And last year around this time, it was Horowitz wins, believe it or not. 
But Barry's full-time run already over here with the company, and we won't see much more of Horowitz moving forward, if at all here, on Monday Night Raw. And I don't think it's an accident. Last week, every match featured Sonny or Sable at ringside. This week, it's Sonny twice, Sable, and Marlena. It's like a teenager is booking this thing now. And based on the random blocking of people on Twitter for no reason, I'd say this teenager hasn't matured one bit over the past 27 years. Bro. And speaking of Sunny, backstage promo with Sunny and her smoking guns, Sunny with the remnants of icing still in her hair, states that she has nursed Billy Gunn back to health after that super kick earlier on. Oh, I bet you did. And Sean and Ahmed, they're not going to have their cake and eat it too. The guns will get the win here later tonight. We'll have to see about that. Coming very soon on the show is the main event. But first, Vince McMahon in the ring interviewing Jim Cornette and the number one contender to the WWF title, it's Vader. As Corny forces Vince to say that Vader won over HBK at In Your House, and that made Vader the number one contender for Sean's WWF title. And the match is now confirmed for the SummerSlam main event. Nice. Shawn Michaels has lived the dream long enough, says Jim Cornette. As we get a quick promo there, straight and to the point, I love it that way. And having personally been in the SummerSlam market in 1996, I can confirm they were already pushing some of the matches on local TV prior to them actually being set up here on television nationally. And this was one of them. And I was pumped for it. I had been a Sean fan since he turned on Marty Jannetty, threw him through that barbershop window, followed him for the next several years, wanted him to realize that dream at WrestleMania 12. He was easily my favorite right here in 1996. I hadn't turned on his over-the-top babyface character yet. That would come more around Survivor Series 96 to a degree. Always a fan of Sean, maybe just not so much the favorite by the end of this year. And to me, Vader was still the Vader I remembered from WCW at this point. So for me, this was an awesome match coming up at SummerSlam. Honestly, the best they could have done at this point in 1996. Vader easily the biggest opponent for Shawn Michaels to date. As we get our first look at the awesome SummerSlam 96 commercial with the wrestlers competing in their own Olympic events, and then Goldust grabbing Triple H's ass in the medal ceremony there, leading to Triple H pushing Vader, and the brawl ensues. A fun little touch. I believe this won some sort of an advertising award as well in 96. I know as teens, we loved it. As it's back to the ring for the main event of Raw Tag Team Champion, Smoking Guns, Sonny in their corner, taking on the Intercontinental Champion Ahmed Johnson and the WWF Heavyweight Champion Shawn Michaels, Jose Lothario in their corner. And Sean and Ahmed back out to the ring together this time. And Jose Lothario looks so out of place here. And the guns rush to the ring and attack their opponents. But the faces clear them out as things settle down. Billy Gunn taking some fun bumps early on from Shawn Michaels. Billy even goes over the top rope back out to the floor. And I should note Ahmed Johnson visibly sporting that broken nose with tape over it here for the matchup. Remember I reported he suffered a broken nose at the In Your House pay-per-view. As Johnson, too, gets his turn working over Billy Gunn before heading into a commercial break. And then back from break, Bart Gunn in and finally takes over with a hot shot on Ahmed Johnson. But that doesn't last long before Johnson with a power slam on Brother Billy and a hot tag to Shawn Michaels. And Michaels comes in flying head scissors on Billy Gunn, but he tries it a second time. And the guns counter, driving Michaels' throat first across the top rope. And the smoking guns now getting heat on old HBK. As Bart Gunn with a press, Gorilla Press dropping Sean across the top rope as the guns double team, 
but only get a two count on the WWF champion. Michaels then whipped hard into the buckle, does the upside down flip, and takes the bump out to the floor. Sean, though, finally managing to tag in Ahmed Johnson, but the referee distracted, and he misses the tag as the guns drive HBK back into their corner. Easily their best heel work to date by the Smoking Guns as we take a second commercial break during this matchup. And then back from break this time, the Guns with poetry in motion on Shawn Michaels. Billy Gunn leaping off of Bart's back with a corner splash. Going to get the Guns a near fall on HBK. And then from there, the Guns looking for a double backdrop. But Shawn stops short and a double noggin knocker on the champions, allowing Shawn to make the hot tag to Ahmed Johnson who comes in and unloads on the smoking guns. Spinebuster to Billy Gunn by Ahmed. Then Johnson goes to run the ropes, but Bart pulls him down, sending Johnson tumbling outside to the floor. Then Shawn Michaels back in the ring, taking it to the guns, while Ahmed down on the outside. And then, out of nowhere, what the fuck? What the fuck is that? Some guy in a Kmart gladiator costume, complete with headgear, if you want to call it that, attacking Ahmed Johnson, hard kick to the kidneys, and scoops him up, driving him into the ring post. The referee going to call for the DQ here due to this outside interference, about 10 and a half minutes shown of a 15-minute match. And multiple officials out now with this man pulling him away, who appears to be, is that Ron Simmons? Well, I'll be damned. Sonny runs up to Ron Simmons, congratulating him on attacking Ahmed Johnson as Simmons proclaims the kingdom is hers. What Sonny wants, Sonny gets. As Sonny tells Ron, he has what she needs. And that was only the third time Tammy heard that that day, I'm sure. As Simmons goes back after Ahmed again, but Johnson comes fighting back on his own as Raw goes off the air. Wow, that would have been eight trillion times better if it was just badass Ron Simmons laying in that attack. But that costume way back then, it threw me off. And it put me off back in 96. It took away from the actual attack here. I was too busy trying to figure out what the fuck Simmons was wearing rather than paying attention to what was going on. A visual distraction at the very least. But damn, Ron Simmons, now in the WWF and managed by Sonny, it would appear. A match between Simmons and Ahmed for the Intercontinental title originally scheduled for SummerSlam, but of course we know things are going to alter that here very shortly. As for the tag title match itself, the guys upped their game this week. After the slower tone of the matches last week, you knew the guns weren't dropping the belts, but you get lost in the match and forget something needs to happen to prevent that from happening. And that's something this week? Ron Simmons. And I'll say it again. Damn! And kudos to Billy Gunn going to the next level here with his bumping. And I won't compare him to Kurt Hennig or even a Shawn Michaels. And I didn't notice it then, but it's clear to me now, maybe Billy Gunn was preparing for a singles run already because he was really starting to stand out with his work and his bumps in the ring. And my final thoughts here on this episode of Raw, a couple squashes here and a match with the goon that should have been a squash as well. Hard push begins though for the SummerSlam pay-per-view. The top matches on the card already announced for the WWF title and the Boiler Room Brawl. No Sid on Raw, though, which seemed a little odd for me, a little surprised they didn't capitalize on Sid's return. And the ladies in full force here this week, Sonny, Sable, Marlena, the whole trifecta out here this week on Raw. We also got the debut of Ron Simmons was a nice touch to end the show. I love Johnson coming back and attacking Simmons as well. 
as the show went off the air. Really good stuff there. But explaining what Simmons looked like to my brother on the phone, that took some work. Segment of the night, was it the tag team title match, the Guns versus HBK and Ahmed, Sonny and Icing? Was it Ron Simmons' debut in the WWF or the Raw debut of the Goon? Well, let's get real here, guys. Immediately eliminate that Goon segment of the show. Sonny and Icing? Well, I wasn't there to bask in the ambiance of such a thing, so we'll eliminate that as well. Takes us right down to the tag title match and the debut of Ron Simmons for me. And since it was all part of one segment, I'm going to lump it all together. Because wrestling-wise, easily the best thing on the show, the tag title match, it was pretty good for what it was. We knew the guns were not going to defeat Sean and Ahmed. We also figured that Sean and Ahmed were going to get the tag team titles. So the finish a little lackluster as far as it being a DQ, but the Ron Simmons debut really added into things. So it all lumps together for me. It's the entire last segment of the show. If you like the wrestling, this is the match for you on the show. If you're just into importance factors, the future, the, the history of wrestling, Ron Simmons makes his debut. We know the nation of domination, then not too far away. But for now, he's the gladiator. Farouk Assad will we'll come to learn. But for tonight, according to Jerry Lawler, that's Ron Simmons. Sorry, that's my best Jerry Lawler impersonation. At least the high-pitched Lawler. As Raw is off the air and we're over to WCW. And first, just two bits of WCW news before we jump into Nitro. Not a whole lot here again this week, other than the Blood Runs Cold gimmick with Glacier and other reported Mortal Kombat-like characters has been pushed back. The vignette originally promised a July debut, but have since been changed to reading Coming Soon. And no new definitive date has been announced for the debut of Glacier, but I believe it'll be, I think, in September. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Thanks a lot, NWO. Also, and this is pretty big news, the FTC has basically approved the Turner-Time Warner merger. Mm-mm-mm. So just as the NWO, the Luchadors, the Cruiserweights in general, everything is coming together here in WCW, behind the scenes, actually starts what would attribute to the beginning of the end for Turner's WCW. So just as WCW is actually taking off in the background, they don't even realize it, they're building their own demise as well. Of course, we know Time Warner leads to the end of World Championship Wrestling. I mean, they're not the only thing that led to the end of WCW, don't get me wrong, but the company certainly played a major part in it. As we head off to WCW Monday Nitro, July 22nd, live as always, this week again from the Orlando Disney MGM Studios, the outdoor venue in front of more than 450 fans. I know what you guys are thinking, but remember the Olympics are going on right now, and this is the best WCW could do. And hey, I enjoy the look. It really works for the summer. You can't get away with it year-round, but I'm buying it for now as we're into hour one with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco opening the show. They touch on several things here. We get a throwback clip of Muhammad Ali at a Halloween Havoc in the past. WCW clearly patting themselves on the back here after the recent lighting of the torch by Muhammad Ali at the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. They also randomly show a clip of Hulk Hogan with Shaquille O'Neal all the way back in 1994. Tony ponders, what does Shaq think of Hogan's heel turn? Okay. Mean Gene has his 900 line. I guess for Shaq, you can call 1-800-GENERAL-NOW and find out. Hulk issued the challenge last week for Hog Wild for a WCW title match. Will the Giant accept? We'll find out here tonight. And a reminder from last week's show, the Outsiders and their evil NWO bedsheets over the WCW logo is shown. Once again, 
Before we're off to the ring, opening match here on Nitro, what an odd one. It's Scott Norton taking on Squire David Taylor of the Blue Bloods. Jeeves in the corner of Dave Taylor here. As fire and ice, no more. Scott Norton mentions meeting Ice Train at the Hog Wild pay-per-view on his way to the ring, and Tony Schiavone on commentary would confirm that. Norton then overpowering Taylor to start the matchup, but Squire Dave Taylor back with a trifecta of European uppercuts, but eventually running into a fucking brick wall clothesline. Oh, the sound that made that Scott Norton clothesline didn't even move. Like I I said it before, I'll say it again. Scott Norton is the only man I believe and I've ever seen perform a walking clothesline, and it just looked absolutely disgusting. Nasty. Brick wall here, and the sound made you believe. Dave Taylor running into the brick wall Norton, and what a beast is the Flash Scott Norton here. Taylor bailing out of the ring, but gets launched back inside. Norton, though, misses a corner charge, and the Squire, again laying in a few shots, which Norton barely selling, and then Taylor charges at Scott, but Norton flings the Squire over the top rope for the disqualification. I wrote, what the fuck was that? Match goes one minute and 42 seconds. Norton tossing Taylor out over the top rope. Taylor scores the DQ win here in just a minute and 42 seconds. I'm curious if that was the the planned finish or if Norton just forgot the rules. Uh, Post-match on the floor, both men posting each other before Scott Norton scooping Taylor up and walking around ringside with him before just dropping him. What a weird-ass finish. What a weird-ass post-match brawl. I have no idea what we just saw there. As we head into a commercial break, it's a bumper promo from VK Wall Street. Well, we haven't seen Mike Rotunda here in a while. VK says he knows his international markets and international superstars. Conan may be the kingpin of Mexico, but he's in for a hostile takeover here tonight. You heard me right, guys. It's Wall Street versus Conan in just a short, short. But first, Mean Gene going to stand by interviewing the horseman, minus Ric Flair, at the VIP table. Gene says that Ric Flair part of the six-man tag team main event scheduled for later here tonight, but he's missing in action right now. Arn Anderson, though, promising Flair will be here in time for the match. We'll see about that, Double A. Mongo talks about taking out pretty boys in WCW, including the likes of Sting, Lex Luger, and the Macho Man. Never heard the Macho Man referred to as a pretty boy before. Also, Chris Benoit says he's silent but violent. And short on words here this week is the Crippler as it's back to the ring. For the Mexican heavyweight champion, no belt, Conan taking on VK Wall Street as we hear IRS chants on Wall Street's way to the ring. And I can assure you guys that is the first time I've ever said that sentence in my entire life. IRS chants. Wow. Match starts off with a feeling out process leads to Wall Street locking in a sleeper, but Conan escapes with a jawbreaker and a dropkick to the back of VK's head. Conan tries to work on the arm, but it's Wall Street going to the eyes, taking the fight out to the floor, and Conan sent into the steel steps. From there, VK working over the leg of Conan, doing what he does best, using the ropes for leverage, but he finally gets caught by the referee. Wall Street then with a chin lock, as fans chant for Conan, Conan. Larry Zabisco proclaims, hey, this isn't Mexico. You can't chant for Conan because he's from another country? Jesus Christ, Larry, what are we doing here? VK then moves into a third rest hold in just three minutes of action, this time locking in an arm bar. Or is that an arm bar? Conan makes his comeback, though. Big clothesline, a mule kick, and the face buster drops Wall Street down to the mat. But Wall Street going to come right back on his own. Wall Street crash, the Samoan drop. 
landing his finisher, and that should do it. One, two, but Conan counters the cover, turns it into a crucifix. And Conan with the one, two, three, Conan pinning VK Wall Street in five minutes and 15 seconds. Too short to be bad. It was what it was. It was a micro-tunda match. As Mean Gene Oakland now in the entranceway, standing there with Sting, Lex Luger, and the Macho Man Randy Savage. So the Bash at the Beach team reunites tonight to take on three of the four horsemen as Gene continues to sell the where is Flair angle. Thus far, Ric Flair missing an action here tonight on Nitro. As Lex says, the NWO stomped a mud hole in him last week when everyone else was in Japan, but now they're back in full force. The Macho Man says he wants the NWO and Flair in the ring all at once tonight. He wants to take care of everyone at the same time. And as we head into another commercial break, well, they've gone and done it now. Originally slated for that July debut, the Glacier character pushed back, so we get a brand new Glacier vignette this week, showing Ray Lloyd in full Glacier regalia, doing various martial arts strikes to thin air, and the kicker? With July almost over, Glacier isn't even coming soon anymore. They don't even know when they're going to debut him, so there's no time frame anymore on the screen. Not even coming soon is Glacier at this point. Poor guy. Then coming back from break, a vignette airs of a, I guess you would call it a music video, showing some of the hottest young talents to come to WCW in a long time, according to Tony Schiavone. It's the foursome of the Renegade. Desperado Joe Gomez, Jimmy Powers, and Alex Wright? Walking on Daytona Beach in sunglasses, taking off their shirts and looking cool, man. Jimmy Powers, so beyond jacked up here, takes him a second just to get that shirt off. An interesting decision here. Alex Wright really stuck out with the leaner body and the pasty white skin compared to the other three guys. And I guess at least someone thought of something to do with these four. Let's see if they follow it up here as we head to the ring for eight-man tag team action featuring the Dungeon of Doom, Kevin Sullivan, Hugh Morris, the Barbarian, and the Leprechaun with Jimmy Hart in their corner taking on that foursome. We just talked about him. Jim Powers, the Renegade, Desperado Joe Gomez, and Alex Wright. Tony Schiavone promises an unveiling of a new member of the Dungeon of Doom here. We've seen him pop up on Saturday night running around the ring during matches, but now... He makes his wrestling debut. It's the Leprechaun. What a clever name as Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker has been repackaged as Hornswoggle, for lack of a better term, only maybe a little taller. Not yet dubbed Braun the Leprechaun. The Leprechaun out here running around ringside, gnawing at the ring ropes. Just ridiculous in an era where Bischoff proclaimed they were moving to reality-based characters. And we're maybe 15 seconds into the match before we learn there's a disruption in the production area. That didn't take long. Cut to the Outsiders, Hall and Nash invading the production truck, and they briefly take over producing the show, ordering crowd shots from the cameras rather than seeing the action in the ring, eventually being escorted out by security there. And this goes on for over three minutes. And remember, there was a match in the ring that we saw none of during that period of time excellent way to get over those new young prospects in the eight-man. And I'm not saying the match would have been any better than what we saw backstage, and in fact, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. But still, this didn't age well for me, I, I suppose. I wish I could go back to 1996 and ask teenage me his thoughts, or, or my thoughts, I guess. I mean, it, it was different. I didn't really mind the anything-can-happen feel of the NWO, but these segments, they did seem to run on too long at times. 
at least for my taste. Then finally, back to the ring, the Dungeon of Doom working over Joe Gomez before we get a tag out to Jimmy Powers. Got a tag in and immediately pitched out to the floor when out of nowhere, Teddy Long pops up at ringside and lends a pep talk to Powers, which fires Jimmy up and Powers back in the ring, taking it to Hugh Morris when it breaks down into a pure eight brawl, I guess you would say, as the WCW champion, the Giant, shows up. He hits the ring and a choke slam to the Renegade, choke slam to Joe Gomez, choke slam to Jimmy Powers, and yep, a choke slam for Alex Wright as well. Four choke slams causing the disqualification here. The babyface is going to win in five minutes and 26 seconds, and we saw maybe the last couple minutes as Giant laid waste to everyone not in the Dungeon of Doom here. And I wrote, well, that music video and that Teddy Long appearance certainly served its purpose for the faces. And what a debut for the Leprechaun, who stood on the floor, tripping people and biting ankles. Bring back my state patrol. As Mean Gene enters the ring to speak with the WCW champion, the Giant, we learn very quickly here, the Giant accepting the challenge laid out by Hulk Hogan last week, the Giant going to put the WCW title on the line against the Hulkster at the Hog Wild pay-per-view in Sturgis. So there you have it, the main event of Hog Wild now set to go as we get a bumper promo here from DDP heading into commercial. He has two words for his opponent tonight, which is Prince Iakea, Diamond Cutter. We also learned this week on WCW Saturday Night, it's Tag Team Mania, lots of tag teams here. Sting and Luger in action, as well as the Nasty Boys, the Steiner Brothers, Rough and Ready, and the Booty Man? He's still here? He's doing that gimmick? Didn't even realize the Booty Man character is still being used by the month of July, but I guess eh, you got some things in the bag. You got to put it on TV. As we head back to the ring, Diamond Dallas Page taking on Prince Iakea. I think this is his debut here on Monday Nitro. Is DDP busting out a tilt-a-whirl slam? Iakea, though, comes back with a springboard crossbody and then a springboard reverse body block as well. Gets him a pair of two counts here on DDP and look good doing it. But the Prince goes hard into the corner and bounces out, walking right into a bang! Diamond Cutter gets the win in just 1 minute and 40 seconds. A lot quicker here this week. Remember, we've seen DDP in the past against the likes of Scotty Riggs and others, and the matches, they go 5-6 minutes sometimes, and there's just a lot of downtime before we get to that hot finish of the Diamond Cutter. And here this week, they, they didn't make any bones about it. They got right to the point. A little longer than a Magnum TA squash, but remember, DDP's a heel. But the Diamond Cutter gets him another one there as we see another bumper promo, another newcomer here to WCW, Chavo Guerrero Jr. He says that Dean Malenko has had a lot of battles with his Uncle Eddie, but he's never met Chavo. And we've got that matchup coming in just a second, but first we get a Kevin Sullivan-Chris Benoit feud video. Even though it's Benoit versus Malenko at Hog Wild, they're still pushing this Sullivan feud with the Crippler here. As we head back to the ring, Dean Malenko taking on Chavo Guerrero Jr., as a clip is shown from last week's Benoit Guerrero match, where Dean Malenko interfered, costing Benoit the match on a countout. Chavo just recently made his WCW TV debut over beautiful Bobby Eaton, only two days prior on WCW Saturday night. Chavo, of course, a third-generation star. His grandfather, the legendary Gory Guerrero, of course, his uncle Eddie, Hector, Mondo, and his father, Chavo Classic. Chavo with a snappy tilt-a-whirl head scissors early on, but Malenko back with a gut buster. Dean then from there, a nasty Saito suplex and a fallaway slam. Wow, Dean Malenko with a fallaway slam? Scott Hall going to put it into that very soon. 
as we count down to hour number two, mid-match here. Are these guys going to take it home really quickly? Nope. The two men continue to fight for a superplex on the top rope as Tony Schiavone counts us down to hour number two, mid-match. And hey, what do you guys know? No stupid little dynamite stick with the countdown clock in the corner. No rushing to a finish of a match right in the middle of it. Tony Schiavone called this the bridge to hour number two. So I guess maybe they thought this would keep viewers tuned in instead of switching over to Raw, having a match continue throughout the uh, course of hour one into hour number two, which says a lot for Dean Malenko and this style of match at this point in 96. As hour number two begins mid-match, Raw also starting at this point. Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan replacing Tony and Zabisco on commentary as Chavo knocks Dean Malenko off the ropes and a top rope sunset flip by Guerrero gets him a two count. Malenko, though, takes over with a grounded head scissors and a chin lock to slow things down just a little bit here, then into a half-crab armbar combo that looks very painful before Dean floating over into an STF. Lots of mat wrestling here by Malenko, and really fun watching this from my point of view. As it's that time at the Disney theme park, we hear in the background the Disney pyro, the Disney fireworks going off in the background here during this matchup. Chavo in the ring escapes with a somersault dropkick on Dean Malenko, but Dean right back on top with a hell of a powerbomb spiking Guerrero into the mat. Jimmy Hart then out of nowhere popping up at ringside, who seems to be loosely aligned with Malenko at this point. Remember, he came out and had a word with Malenko last week before Dean's match, and then later on in the night, it was Dean costing Benoit that match, and of course, Benoit feuding with the Dungeon of Doom. But this time, it's Jimmy Hart at ringside distracting Malenko, allowing Chavo a couple of surprise near falls there. Now, that wasn't Jimmy Hart's intention, but Malenko clearly didn't expect Jimmy here at ringside. As the action continues, Chavo up to the top rope, comes off with a flying... I don't know what it was, but Dean catches his legs in midair and turns it into the Texas Cloverleaf. Malenko going to get the submission win in eight minutes and eight seconds of a fun TV matchup there. And a natural, as you'd expect here from Guerrero, Chavo's first live match in WCW and doesn't show a sign of greenness in the big leagues. And of course, he was working Dean Malenko, so that helped him some too. Malenko, though, has Benoit at Hog Wild and Kevin Sullivan feuding with Benoit. So it's like Jimmy Hart is offering his services here to Dean Malenko, whether he wants it or not. And then back into a commercial break, another bumper promo. Jimmy Hart with Ming here. Last week, it was Arn Anderson. This week, it's Ice Train, who's going to feel the wrath of Ming. No, thank you. And then to the ring, it is Ice Train taking on Ming, Jimmy Hart in his corner, as it's just two bulls colliding here over and over, smacking chests, running into one another. Train, finally with a hard-hitting running body block for two, as we see Teddy Long watching on the matchup. Well, it was Long who aided in that split between Ice Train and Scott Norton last week. And it's on commentary that Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan discuss Teddy Long managing Ice Train, as if it's already a sure thing. But Long only comes out to look at the matchup and then leaves ringside. So I think the announcers are jumping the gun here on the storyline of Teddy Long being with Ice Train. Then back to the action, stiff shots from Ming as this match, a true battle of the hosses. And Ming delivers a standing headbutt to the jaw of Train, but Train comes back hoisting Ming up in the air for a slam, but he can't follow through. Train's leg giving out and Ming falling on top to stay in control of the matchup. Ice Train again trying to come back, finally connecting with a jumping clothesline. But no matter what Train hits Haku with, the Tongan just keeps coming right back. 
And it's at this point I realized Haku would have made a good Jason Voorhees or a Michael Myers type character for a movie. You keep hitting him and he just keeps coming. As the two men trade some nasty, sweat-flying chops, drenching the camera lens in the process. Disgusting. Corner splashed by Ice Train and a power slam, making the ring bounce. Driving Ming down so hard gets him one, two, but Ming kicking out. It's Train then going up to the middle rope and coming off right into a Ming thrust kick. Sending Ice Train out to the floor, Ming following him outside, but Scott Norton attacks. But it's not Ice Train. Rather, it's Scott Norton attacking Ming. Posting Ming, causing a disqualification here, giving the Minger the win here on a DQ in 6 minutes and 18 seconds. Norton then shouting into the camera that he has Ice Train's back until Hog Wild because he wants him healthy for their big matchup. And he doesn't want any excuses. Ah, now it makes sense. I guess. An ice train over the years since this time has matured. Self-admittedly, he's talked recently about the split of the Fire and Ice tag team, taking the full blame in recent months. Says way back in 96, he was immature. He didn't want to share the spotlight. Thought he was ready for a singles push. Didn't really realize the opportunity he had in front of him. And thus, it didn't allow Fire and Ice to realize the potential that maybe they could have as a tag team. It was reported all around that, and maybe even true, Scott Norton wasn't a fan of the team either, wasn't a fan of Ice Train on a business level anyway, but it sounds like Ice Train may have some of the blame for that, and kudos to Train for being a man and and admitting it here in 2023. Is up next on Nitro, it's a Hulk Hogan heel turn video recap. Back to Bash at the Beach again. Clearly Hulk Hogan not here this week, so gotta keep this thing hot for the few fans that don't already know the Hulkster's a heel. Another clip from Bash at the Beach, Hogan turning and joining the NWO as we get the Glacier promo yet again here. And even if this were a good idea back in 1996, after all this pushing it back, still stood no chance. Then back to the ring for some no doubt high-flying action. Going to see Eddie Guerrero take on Psychosis in a rematch. A couple weeks ago here on Nitro, it was Eddie going over on Psychosis. This week, Psychosis looking for revenge here as Eddie heads out telling the fans and the camera not to change the channel. Last time out, it was Psychosis' Nitro debut. He lost to Guerrero, but we get this rematch here a couple weeks later, and away we go. Excellent mat wrestling to start from both as we head into a commercial break. Only 90 seconds in, Eddie chants over the crowd heading into the commercial break. And then back from break, Psychosis missing a dropkick into the corner, and Guerrero clotheslining Psy out to the floor. Eddie then to the top rope, plancha! all the way from the top rope to the outside onto Psychosis. As Bobby Heenan on commentary spins the match, putting Guerrero over hard for his upcoming U.S. title match with Ric Flair at Hog Wild. And for all the heel work and comedy that Bobby Heenan did in the WWF and for the similar stuff he does here in WCW, Heenan really utilized Nitro, at least, to put over a lot of the younger and lighter talent. And it was never more prominent than with Eddie Guerrero. He's done it all the way back to the early episodes of Nitro, Bobby Heenan clearly either really took a liking to Eddie Guerrero, or he simply knew it was up to him to get some of these new characters over here in WCW. Either way, Bobby always did a great job when the cruiserweights were in the ring. And back in the ring, Psychosis with a corkscrew body block off the top rope onto Eddie, who rolls to the outside, setting Psychosis up for a tope suicida. Suicide dive out to the floor as Bobby proclaims he horned him. Remember Psychosis with the horn mask doing the suicide dive headfirst into Eddie Guerrero there, Heenan with the quip, he horned him. Sending Guerrero into the guardrail, 
then back inside, high elevation, top rope leg drop, guillotine leg drop there from Psychosis, but Eddie manages to kick out and comes back with a snap Hurricane Rana and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker by Guerrero. Psychosis, though, responds with his own Rana, getting a near fall and then a powerbomb, driving Guerrero down to the mat to boot. Then sigh back to the top rope again, corkscrew somersault senton, landed with his entire body on top of the chest of Eddie Guerrero. I wrote, oof. Psychosis landing on top of Eddie gets the one, two, but Guerrero kicks out again, and almost out of nowhere, it's a Guerrero top rope Frankensteiner, and the frog splash gets the win here again this week. Seven minutes shown of a 10-minute matchup. Psychosis jobbing yet again, and it's starting to work against him. Really good matches here with Eddie Guerrero back-to-back over the course of the last three episodes of Nitro. And of course, this really excellent match with Rey Mysterio at the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. But Psychosis hasn't scored an important win yet, and that really works against him from a fan perspective. Now, as for the match here this week, it wasn't at Lucha Libre speed or Super J-Cup speed. But they got their spots in. It made for fun TV. This wasn't a a next-level type cruiserweight match, but it it was good and solid from start to finish. I enjoyed it. Some really good TV action. And I love the fact that Psychosis and Ray adapted so quickly to the American style, selling, separating the moves, giving the fans time to digest and appreciate each spot in between. Then when we get to the pay-per-views, they kick it up a notch, as they should. Psychosis having trouble scoring a win here in WCW, but still putting on some good matches in the process. And I wouldn't say this was as good as their first match between Guerrero and Psychosis a couple weeks ago, but it was still fun for TV. As we head on to the main event of Nitro here this week, six-man tag team action, Macho Man Randy Savage, Sting, and the total package Lex Luger taking on the trio of the four horsemen of Crippler Chris Benoit, Steve McMichael, and the Nature Boy Ric Flair, accompanied to the ring by Woman, Deborah McMichael and a ooh, lovely Elizabeth. Love those outfits, Liz. We hear the Nature Boys music play, but there's no Ric Flair. No Flair at all this week. Second week in a row. We know last week it was in Japan. Not really sure what's going on here. We'll touch more on it as the show progresses. As we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, we see Arn Anderson out now, scoping out a white limo which has arrived. Bischoff pondering if someone from New York was inside the limo. Another defector, perhaps? Arn Anderson clearly trying to find Ric Flair, wondering if he's in that limo. But Arn gives up trying to see inside and finally heads to the ring himself to fill in for the missing nature boy. So it's going to be Benoit McMichael and Arn Anderson in this six-man tag team matchup. And I never heard the bell, but Randy Anderson signals for Sting and Arn to start the match. So away we go as the Stinger taking it to all the members of the Horsemen but winds up walking into a Mongo middle rope shoulder tackle as shit breaks down fast in the match, and the unhinged Macho Man gives the Leprechaun character a run for his money here, running all over the place in and out of the ring in the early goings of the matchup, and the Horseman winding up taking control of the Stinger, Mongo with a hangman's neckbreaker. Nicely done, but Sting kicking out at the two count as Mongo goes on even throwing a dropkick here. And while it wasn't pretty, I'll say A for effort here. For Steve McMichael, he's really trying to hang with the big boys, if you will. And as the match goes on, this is kind of funny. Go back and watch it yourself. Mongo wants a back suplex badly on the Stinger, but Sting having none of it. Sting holding on to the top rope, refusing to let go as Mongo refuses to stop attempting the back suplex maneuver. 
finally tries to land the move with Sting still holding onto the ropes. Talk about an awkward spot here from both men. Sting, though, finally counters an Arn Anderson sleeper with a back suplex, and then it's hot tag time to the total package. Lex Luger in dropping all three horsemen by himself, but things break down into a Pier 6 brawl, all six men now in the ring, as we see the ladies outside fighting over the briefcase. Deborah trying to throw the Halliburton into the ring, but Woman trying to take it away. What's going on there? Macho Man finally running over and snatches the briefcase from both women. Savage in the ring, loud thud across the back of the crippler Chris Benoit. Randy Savage blasting Benoit with that Halliburton and Lex Luger down to make the cover for the one, two, three. Babyface is going to get the win here in a seven-minute matchup and a throwaway match here. Flair was clearly a bait-and-switch all episode long. Macho Man never even tagged in. Seven minutes for a six-man tag. And it's pretty crazy to think that Mongo was the MVP here of this match. His post-match, Chris Benoit arguing with Woman about the briefcase. Remember, Deborah tried to bring it into the ring. Woman kept her from doing so, pulling it away from Deborah. Benoit wanting to know what exactly was going on here. They're kind of playing that shoot-work mentality with the fans that maybe know that Woman is actually with Kevin Sullivan in real life, but not for much longer. And after the six-man tag, Mean Gene re-entering the ring yet again, this time to talk with the baby faces of Sting, Luger, and the Macho Man as we see some sort of debris being thrown in the ring. Can't really make out what it was, but Mean Gene on the mic asking a lady not to throw her underwear in the ring, which gets a loud pop from the fans. Macho Man says, it's okay. I wrote LOL. Welcome back, everybody, to more WCW Monday Nitro. We are live from Orlando. We've got a red-hot crowd, and I don't mind telling you, we just had a Donnybrook here. Hey, somebody, please, lady, do not throw your underwear in here. It's in bad taste. Not it's okay. Hey, don't throw your underwear in the ring. Comes a second close to put that cigarette out, but obviously not as wildly popular. Sting says at Hog Wild, it'll be a bad day for the NWO. Maybe looking for a Sting and Luger versus Hall and Nash match? Lex Luger then on the mic says he's losing it. He cares a lot for WCW, and these outsiders have made a mockery of it as of late. And then from there, the Macho Man, still in the bandana, never even lost the bandana because never really tagged into the matchup. Savage says he will take Hulk Hogan out on his way to the ring at Hog Wild, so Hogan never even going to make it to his championship match with the Giant, says Randy Savage here. And then the Macho Man channeling Booker T as he closes with the line, You understand that? We got a date. Don't be late, sucker. (laughs) Sucker. (laughs) Macho Madness, huh? And nothing ever even happens with the limo as the show ends. No Hulk Hogan this week, no Hall and Nash near the ring. Bischoff teasing maybe we'd find out who was in the limo heading into the final break, but as I pointed out, we never do, as WCW apparently quickly trying to see how much, or how little, they can get away with here week to week. And as for the Ric Flair situation, you have to wonder, uh, maybe Flair really had something else going on. I don't really know at this moment. Also, you have to wonder, did they really just keep him off TV to play up the fact that was he in the limo? Is he the next member of the NWO? Lots of questions there. That's going to continue on week to week with so many different stars in WCW as we close out this edition of Nitro. Segment of the night. Was it the production invasion of Hall and Nash? The six-man main event? Eddie versus Psychosis 2? Dean Malenko versus the Nitro debut of Chavo Guerrero? Or the new Glacier video? 
Hell, let's throw in that other four-man video as well with Alex Wright and company. Dear God. It's hard to say, you know, I read Meltzer's review of this Nitro, and he, he said it was a pretty bad episode, and we'll, we'll get more to that in just a second. But, uh, you know, when I read it on paper, I said, well, there's a couple of decent matches here. Obviously, Chavo and Dean, Psychosis and Eddie in the rematch as well. I said, it can't be any worse than, than some of the Raws we've seen recently. But again, we'll get into that in just a little bit as well. Overall, uh, uh, just a very lazy episode of Monday Nitro. No real capitalization on much of anything. I did enjoy those two matches I mentioned, so I'm going to select one of those two matches. Um, let's see, Eddie Psychosis, not as good as their first, I don't believe. I think I'm going to go with Dean and Chavo here, just for the freshness of it. Although I can see going Eddie and Psychosis as well. And yes, of course, Hall and Nash invading the production area was a big deal back in 1996. What are they doing? Oh my God, we're, we're seeing the, the production truck. We've never seen that before. And these guys are taking over. Just a taste of the NWO this week. No Hulk Hogan. Lots of smoke and mirrors here, alluding you to believe that maybe they're in the limo. Maybe they'll come to ringside since they were in the production truck, hinting at potentially, we never know, is Hulk Hogan going to show up knowing full well he's not here? So again, lots of smoke and mirrors. Not really a fan of that type of booking here by the WCW, but what are you going to do? So I guess my match of the night or my segment of the night, I'm just going to go with Dean and Chavo. Again, I can see a lot of people choosing Eddie and Psychosis for the name value. Maybe they enjoyed the match a little more. Maybe there's a little more to it. I, I enjoyed Dean's ground grappling here. Really good stuff from floating from one move to the next. Very fluid is Malenko. One of the best of all time. So underrated in the history of wrestling because he didn't really make it until later in his career. People don't realize Malenko was in the ring for like 15 years before he ever popped up on the ECW or WCW radar. And with that, the ratings are in. For the first time since it went to the two-hour format, WCW Monday Nitro's ratings fell in the second hour, going from a 2.7 in the first hour to a 2.5, which is a testament to just how bad the show was, says Dave Meltzer. So the overall average was a 2.6 rating here this week and a 4.2 share, uh, nearly a point less than usual here on WCW Monday Nitro. So it sounds like they're in trouble here this week. But part of the drop overall can be attributed to the Olympics going on right now in 1996, which went head-to-head with the second hour of Nitro, as did Monday Night Raw. And speaking of Raw, despite being the day after a pay-per-view, does only a 2.2 rating and a 3.3 share. So even though Nitro only did a measly 2.6, still beating Raw out by a few tenths of a point here, 2.6 to a 2.2, and then the Nitro replay even doing a 1.5 rating, so a little lower than we've been accustomed to in recent weeks, but the streak will continue for WCW Monday Nitro. And now we get to the real winner this week. This might blow you guys away. It blew me away when I was done with this. When I read these matches on paper for both Nitro and Raw before I watched these shows, once again, I groaned at Raw. And I looked at Nitro and said, well, they've got a couple of good matches, and that six-man at the main event could be okay. Of course, we realized it wasn't much of anything. But then going and watching them, I couldn't believe myself saying this at the end of the day, but I felt that Raw overall had the better product this week. And so while Nitro wins by a narrow margin, Raw gets the win here for the real winner for me, Ray Russell, here this week. And I can't believe I'm saying that I thought each and every week, uh, as long as Nitro was on top, at least for the first several dozen 
of the 83 weeks on top, I, I thought for sure I would be selecting Nitro, but just not the case here this week. Lots of smoke and mirrors with the NWO, Ric Flair missing in action. Weird matches put on the show like Dave Taylor and Scott Norton. I love the random battle of the big guys between like Ming and Ice Train and things like that. But the Cruiserweight matches, they certainly stole the show for me. And even those were just on par with your typical TV match. Nothing special, but very good. Over on Raw, I thought they just had a better developed episode. And with it going only an hour, it flowed better. So everything after that initial goon match that went over seven minutes, everything else was either quick and to the point as needed, including promos. And then a surprisingly good tag team title match at the end of the show leading to the debut of Ron Simmons. And let's not forget that goon match featured that awesome promo by Stone Cold Steve Austin throughout the match as well. So really this week it comes down to which one can I stomach better, and it really goes to Raw simply because it's only an hour rather than two hours. WCW needs to get their shit together as far as the undercard booking here on Nitro. And I've said it before, I don't know that they ever figure that out. But this week... Simply because of the Stone Cold interview and the hot tag team match at the end, Ron Simmons' debut, Sonny getting caked, the main event match is set up for SummerSlam. I feel like Vince McMahon always does the better job coming out of a pay-per-view, and he did it here again this week. And looking at it on paper, I would have never guessed it. But for me, the real winner, Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I said it. And that's going to wrap it all up here this week. We've got a new set of Raw tapings upon us and the NWO in full effect, at least for now. They'll continue to grow as we know. But lots going on over in the World Wrestling Federation as we head into the SummerSlam pay-per-view at the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. And of course, World Championship Wrestling building to Hog Wild, also upcoming in the month of August. And as always, I am your host, Ray Russell. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Don't forget to check out the entire WrestleCopia Podcast Network over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And hey, if you guys can, don't forget, show your support, help me pay some of the bills. Give us a try over at Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia as well. That $5 all-access tier gets you all sorts of goodies. But for now, going to close out the show. So no doubt next week, both programs going to continue their build to their respective pay-per-views. And we'll talk all about that when we get there next week, guys, on Monday Warfare. The Battles Within.